Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. We've promised to keep you up to date on the dangerous situation in Myanmar, and that's what we're doing today. Myanmar, former Burma, is a cauldron of strife and dissent where religious freedom is under heavy fire. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, which is the sponsor of this program, is here to share the latest. Lincoln, the time is yours. Well, let's go Hollywood here. All right, okay. I remember when I was very young, because I think it predates me, or at least, well, maybe not, but I was preteen when I first saw a movie or bits of a movie. We never went to movies when I was growing up, but yeah. one way or another, you see bits shown somewhere of Bridge Over the River Kwai. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know the tune, Colonel Bogey Martin. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and Alec Guinness yeah. and other assorted luminaries of the screen. Yes. But, you know, as all movies, it was exaggerated and idealized. You know, history wasn't quite accurately portrayed, but as a link to our listeners to popular culture, that's a pretty good one for Burma. Yes. Because that was part of the saga that took place in World War II with the uh, fall of Singapore and other uh, bastions of, of British... Well, I don't think there were too many Americans there, but the British power in that area. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers were taken prisoner by the Japanese and sent on death marches up into the Burmese jungle. Yes. And for a year or two, they were treated as literal slaves and forced to build the Burma Railway from Rangoon to Bangkok. And the bridge of the River Kwai, I think, was just a little across the border into Thailand. But the worst parts of that were built in Burma, as it was known. Now it's Myanmar. Although I've noticed that the world is not really in agreement whether to use that new name because it's the title given by the military junta who have essentially ruled that country for decades now with a little interregnum by Aung San Suu Kyi. She's under house arrest again. Yes, she is. For about a decade, she was under house arrest. And when I visited there, I remember seeing her house at the middle of a little island in the middle of a big pond and she was confined there but uh, no one much knows where she is now but she's been put up on petty charges one of them was that her bodyguards had an inappropriate cell phone that wasn't allowed and mm-hmm. on those sort of trumped up charges yeah. she's been removed from power but let me just go over the numbers because I, I raised the Burma Railway it was a 258 mile railroad, which through jungle, that's a long way. It certainly is. You know, I'm from Australia. That's not quite like this Trans-Australian Railway, which is best part of 2,000 miles, or the same in the U.S. from coast to coast, the railways. You can see it on any number of westerns. But through the jungle, it was horrific. There were 60,000 Allied prisoners of war that were conscripted into this effort. 12,000 of them died, but as well as that, and this is why I'm bringing this up, 250,000 civilians were dragooned, and of them, 90,000 died. So the blood that went into that World War II post-colonial adventure was amazing. And I think it partly explains why, even at this late point, this country, this fragmented country that was the battleground for the great powers, hasn't really put its act together. 
we featured on this program before the the continuing strife they have within their culture of the Rohingyas, mm -hmm. again caused by the colonial powers because England had brought low-paid workers across from what is now Bangladesh all the way across into Burma, and they were Muslims. And then, of course, when the English Empire, after World War II, evaporated in that area, they were left there. Yes. They count themselves as Burmese, but not the Burmese. So there's a fight over who is a Burmese, and, of course, religion is a convenient label yeah. to add punch to that. But beyond that, in the north of Myanmar, there are semi-autonomous regions, not because the, the military wants to give them autonomy, but they can't control them. Yeah. And there are uh, literal armies of mostly Protestant tribesmen who are in constant war with the central state. And so there's an antipathy there between Protestantism or it's really a sort of Pentecostalism mm -hmm. and a bit of animism mixed in. It's a very strange religion up there. And, of course, Western missionaries often go up there, which increases the suspicion yes. of the military government about outside influence. Then, too, as is happening in a lot of that area, Buddhism, which is an inherently peaceful philosophical belief system. It's not in its original sense even a religion, but it's become a religion with the accretion of traditions and so on and the final deification of Buddha, but it's really philosophy. But it's been very peaceful. But Buddhism in that country, as in others, which reminds me even of going to Ceylon, which had a Buddhist majority. But uh, when we were visiting there, they were pushing for the death penalty for anyone trying to convert to Christianity or away from Buddhism. So uh, Myanmar is not immune to this sort of thinking, and, and Buddhism has become increasingly nationalistic and at times even violent. And this is playing into the uh, situation in Myanmar. On the face of it, their political situations are predominantly the classic one of power versus the people, and the military doesn't easily give up that sort of power. Yeah. But since we are coming at things from the point of, of religious liberty, it's really worth remarking on that there is a very complex and bitterly fought religious component in uh, Myanmar. It's not easily apparent in the current news media reports of, of killings in the street as the people continue to demonstrate against this clampdown. But from being there, I know that the military using this opportunity to further marginalize some of the different religious groups, even our own church. And I remember mentioning this once on a previous radio program, our own Seventh-day Adventist church. I was there on Independence Day, and there was a military contingent right across the street from the church, and I was told they're always there on key occasions because they suspect any Protestant group, but our church particularly, some little infraction was noted in the past, and they uh, pretty much flagged that the Adventist church as perhaps a likely enemy of the state. Now, that's very difficult to operate under those circumstances. And uh, I can remember hearing when I was there that they were restricting the Internet. Well, during this resident clampdown, same thing. For days on end, they cut off the Internet. Don't want people talking. But, uh, you know, we really need to pray for people in countries like this. They're in flux. They haven't really formed a coherent stable government. Education is increasing, which is really a recipe for some agitation. And the military know this. That's what makes them sort of uh, reactionary. They're not for modernization. They're not for communication. And it's not just that they're stubborn. 
there's a real threat to their hegemony from this sort of thing. There's a real fear in these countries that different Protestant sects, Roman Catholic Church, have sort of outside backers and that uh, there might be political pressure from them. When you have a paranoid government system like in this little country that's really not been stable for a hundred years or so because it was a ward of the colonial structure for a long, long time and World War II shook it up with blood, spewed it out into the jungles and they've not sorted themselves out yet. But it's a wonderful, beautiful country. Very kind, nice people that deserve better. Lincoln, in the couple of minutes we have left here in the program, we have talked often of places like Myanmar and other hot spots around the world where it seems like we have dueling dogmas. We have religions who are saying we need to live by our laws. No, we need to live by our laws. What is the best way to build a country? How do we build a country that allows religious freedom, yet at the same time has rules and regulations that determine how we should live as citizens of that country? What should we do? Well, I want to have a whole program on that. Yeah. That's the big question. Yes. And what, what is still with us is the old idea that you can find in the Old Testament that the God, whether it was Baal or, or then Yahweh when he was revealed to Abraham and to the uh, emerging Jewish tribes, these gods were regional gods. They were the God of this people. Mm-hmm. It was synonymous with who you were and your political identity and, and your very life. And so it wasn't just a matter of changing theology and worshiping at a different shrine. You were betraying the integrity of the whole people. You were perhaps even revealing yourself to have loyalties to another state and might betray. So you were seen as a traitor. You were seen as as another entity. And that's not even totally foreign in the modern world, at least parts of what we think of as the modern world. I was reading a book last night. Couldn't sleep too much. I was reading about the last empress of China. And it went back a little earlier when the Western powers, England in particular, were pushing into China. And they went to war with China to force them to sell opium, which was illegal in England. Hmm. The emperor says, you know, you won't allow it to your own people and you're going to make us give it. But to his courtiers, the emperor said, we do not want this religion because they forbade the missionaries to leave Peking. And he described that in exactly what we've just been discussing. Nothing to do with theology. He didn't understand the theology or care to understand it. He just saw it as a beachhead for another nation. And for better or worse, especially during the colonial period, that is how religion functioned. So it doesn't take away from the good news of the gospel that Christian missionaries might have been taking. But it's been very destabilizing to the integrity of traditional peoples. 
And the trick is, how do you get past that, open people's minds to new spiritual ideals slash the truth, and yet maintain uh, cultural integrity? It's a trick. Uh, you feed in a little paranoia in a country under threat, and they don't see it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Our guest today, Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine. Liberty Magazine is the sponsor of this radio program. Also the sponsor of libertymagazine.org. Check it out. Lots of good resources there for you to continue your journey of education and learning in the areas of religious freedom around the world. Lincoln Steed, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Wide-ranging. Wide-ranging, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so with the theme song of the Bridge Over River Kwai echoing in our thoughts, we are going to say goodbye to Myanmar for now, but we'll be talking about it in the future, I am sure, unfortunately. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <laughs>